Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest, and I'm looking forward to opening up the Word of God with you this morning. Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We have been working our way through the book of Acts, and we're going to keep doing that through the end of the year. So where are we in Acts? Well, as you're turning last week, we ended in this first part in chapter 16 here in verses four and five of chapter 16. Uh, They actually say this. They say, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So we have Paul, Silas, and now Timothy here that are seeking to strengthen the churches. They're they're delivering to them the decisions from the Jerusalem council. They're preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that he lived, died, and rose from the dead for sinners. And they're faithfully obeying the great commission call to go and make disciples. They're continuing to advance with the gospel. Today, four ways that we see a people advancing in this passage. Ready? First way, a people advancing with the gospel according to the plan of God. We see a people advancing with the gospel according to the plan of God. Let's jump into verse six here. And they went through the region, oh, there's a lot of names in this section, so bear with me. (laughs) And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them All right, so we see the Holy Spirit here in these first couple verses forbidding them, preventing them from going someplace, not allowing them. How does the Holy Spirit forbid them? How does the Holy Spirit prevent them from going into these couple different places? Uh, Is it it through his word? Uh, Is it through a vision or circumstances or or maybe just an inner sense or or maybe, as some think, it was through the, the physical ailments of Paul and his health physically deteriorating at this time. How, how did the Holy Spirit prevent them from going? I, I don't know. <laughs> the text doesn't tell us, okay? What it does tell us is that the Holy Spirit somehow prevented them from going into these places. And what we know from that is that they listen and they heed the Spirit's direction. Verse eight, and so passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there and urging him saying, come over to Macedonia 
and help us. Okay, uh, on the screen behind me, you should be able to kind of trace where they're going. So, so they're in Galatia and they're forbidden to go into, into Asia here. Okay, and then they come to Mycenae and they're forbidden to go into Bithynia. And then they end up at Troas, literally the end of the road. Okay, they're at the sea, and so they're like, well, let's go this way, and the Spirit says, no, no, not that way, and then they're like, okay, uh, how about this way, and the Spirit's like, no, no, don't go that way, and they're like, okay, we've come to the end of the road, what now? And then this vision from the Lord, this man of Macedonia is saying, come, help us, share the good news about Jesus with us. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay, we see in this verse, it says, we sought, and it said God had called us. This, uh, this we here suggests that the author of Acts, who is Luke, joins this group at this point. So now we have Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and some think this is why Paul's health was failing at this point in time. Luke was a physician, and so maybe he came along at this part in the journey in order to attend to the physical needs of these men. Uh, I love that it says, uh, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. There's, there's reasoning here involved in interpreting this vision. They're like, hey, listen, guys, the Lord has brought us from here to here, and he's prevented this and that, and now, now this vision, and we think that this is from the Lord. So what's happening here in this first paragraph? Well, uh, Paul had a good plan, didn't he? Uh, we, we see his plan actually back in chapter 15, verse 36. It says, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. That's a good plan. They have a great plan and they're intentionally seeking to strengthen and encourage the churches. But the Lord has a plan. He has a better plan. He has the best plan. See, Jesus is in charge of this mission. Jesus is the one who is ultimately fulfilling Acts 1-8, the gospel to the world. It's his mission, and he is seeing that it is carried out through his disciples and according to his perfect plan. You see, you see them along the way, they're planning and considering and they're actually going to specific places. They were being intentional. They're trying to be faithful to what the Lord has commanded them to do, but they're also listening to the Spirit. They're watching for him at work in community and adjusting when he makes it clear that they should do so. The Spirit is leading and preventing and speaking as they walk intentionally in obedience. Uh, last month, uh, my family decided that we were gonna go down to Holiday World 
in southern Indiana. Um, our kids had never been to a theme park before, and uh, we thought it would be fun to go down there, let them enjoy that before the school year started. We found out a lot about the personalities in our family when we decided how we were gonna go through the park and see everything, all right? One half of the family, uh, they were really tied to the map. They loved the map. Like they got it out and they planned and they thought it through and they're like, listen, we wanna ride these rides. We have this much time in the day. These are clumped in sections. So if we go here and not here, we can get to more things. Don't stop at this or that. Like we're on a mission, go. All right, the map. The other half of the family was not as tied to the map. Like, we we're just kind of like, oh wait, I just gave up which part of the family I was on. <laughs> We're just like, you know, let's just go where the crowd leads us. Like, just, let's just feel it out. See what happens. Take it all in. Experience it. Oh, oh, look, there's a ride. No one's in line. Let's ride that ride 12 times in the amount of time that we wait in line for the other ride. All right, we found out a lot about ourselves. And as we worked our way through that, we realized, okay, listen, we have to be intentional, right? If we're not intentional, we will end up staying at the entrance of the park and just spending the day drinking the unlimited soft drinks, all right? We have to be intentional, but at the same time, like, we gotta be flexible. Like, we gotta, like, there's a ride with no one in line. Let's go there. Okay, there was a both and reality to the intentionality and the flexibility that we went through the park that day. Listen, uh, for these guys, you'll see that there's a both and reality to this advancing with the gospel between intentionality and trust. Making plans while trusting the Lord's perfect plan. Sometimes we can go to one extreme or the other. We can become slaves to intentionality. You're like, I'm planning it. It's gonna happen and won't it be wonderful? I, I have the perfect words to say when I tell this person about Jesus and it has to happen this way and oh no, something changed and my plans got interrupted or something interfered. Oh no, I messed up what I said. This person will never come to know Jesus. Or there's the opposite. They're like, uh, I I'm just gonna trust. I'm just gonna sit here and wait to hear a word from the Lord. He'll tell me who to go talk to and when to go talk to him, even though he's given us commands to obey. Be intentional, be obedient while trusting his perfect plan and listening and watching for his leading. They were walking in obedience while trusting the Lord to lead them according to his plan. A people advancing with the gospel according to the plan of God. Next thing we see in this passage, we see a people advancing with the gospel by the power of the Spirit. A people advancing with the gospel by the power of the Spirit. Look at verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And then the following day, to Neapolis, 
and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a, there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered together there. Okay, so they've been miraculously led by the Spirit to this place, right? Prevented, prevented, forbidden, uh, to the sea, vision, come over, all right? They, they braved the, the perilous journey across the sea, and now what do I do? We've seen the normal pattern was for them to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath, all right? But they don't do that here. And, and I think the reason they don't do that here is there probably wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. Um, because there was a, a small Jewish population in this area. So, so what do they do instead? They figure they're going to go to this prayer meeting down by the river and worship and proclaim the gospel there. Wow, that's a pretty simple plan. I, I kind of expected something a little flashier after all of that preventing and visions and travel and everything, but no, let's just go down by the river and, and pray. Uh, verse 14, and one who heard us was, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention, to listen, to, to hear what was said by Paul. So we meet Lydia from Thyatira. Thyatira was a city in Asia Minor back across the sea from where they had just come. It was known for its purple dyes and she is a, she's a seller of purple. Purple was the, the color of, of royalty. It's, it's a luxury item and so she is probably a fairly successful small business owner. We actually see later that she has a home at least large enough to accommodate the disciples and the church at Philippi. And so she's got some measure of, of wealth. This is Lydia. And she is, it says, a worshiper of God. A, a God-fearer like Cornelius, someone, a, a, a Gentile who worshiped the God of Israel but had not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote this. He wrote, uh, it's not enough to be worshipers of God but we must be believers in Jesus Christ. For there's no coming to God as Father, but by Him as mediator. And what does the Lord do here? It says, the Lord opens her heart. What this means is that the Lord does a, a saving work in her. The, the emphasis here is on the power of the, of the Spirit softening her heart and giving her eyes to see and helping her to understand the good news that's proclaimed by Paul. The focus here is not, it's not on the amazing conversation or convincing or persuading of Paul. Uh, he is faithfully proclaiming the gospel here, but, but her response is, attributed completely to the power of the Spirit of God working to draw her to himself. These men are completely dependent on the power of the Spirit to save sinners. We are completely dependent on the power of the Spirit 
to save sinners. There's hope in that. Parent with an unbelieving child. There's hope in that. It's not my powers of persuasion. My convincing. It's his power. Child with an unbelieving parent. There's hope in that. You with a a friend or a neighbor or, or a spouse, there is hope in that. The Spirit does his work. He opens hearts through his word carried and proclaimed faithfully by his people. We walk in obedience while trusting the power of the Spirit to work salvation in the hearts of men. Verse 15, Uh, so the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I love this, look at this. We see immediate fruit in the conversion of Lydia. Like, look at this progression. Like, she listens to the word of God proclaimed, gospel truth by the miraculous work of the Spirit. And then what does she do? She applies that message to herself, and she trusts him. And then what? Acts in obedience and is baptized as an outward demonstration of her faith. And then, then uh, she witnesses to her household with these men, and they place their trust in Christ and are baptized And then she shows hospitality to everyone. The gospel has advanced to Europe by the plan and the power of the Spirit of God. And it all started in a little prayer meeting down by the river. This is amazing. A people advancing with the gospel. Next, we see a people advancing with the gospel through the persecution, praises, and proclamation of God's people. See, a people advancing with the gospel through persecution, praises, and proclamation. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, this is a different day, they're heading back down to the prayer meeting. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. There's truth in that, isn't there? And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I love that, Having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that 
that very hour. Uh, that's something to look at in this paragraph. Uh, Paul becomes greatly annoyed, okay? This isn't just annoyed like we uh, think of annoyed. The word here for this has actually the idea of, of anger in it, uh, being really disturbed and annoyed by what's, by what's happening. Um, a couple reasons to be disturbed or annoyed by what's happening here. Uh, one, uh, the abuse and the exploitation of this slave girl at the hands of both Satan and her slave owners. Something to be angry about, isn't it? Or two, uh, something to be greatly annoyed about is the attempt by Satan to to deceive these people into believing that somehow he is associated with Paul in the true gospel message. It tends to be the deceiver's way, doesn't it? Like, when, imagine these men leave town. What's gonna happen? This demon in this girl's life is gonna go, oh, hey, you remember those guys? Yeah, we're on the same team, right? Uh, follow me. I'm proclaiming the same message they are. And Paul says, nope, enough of this. In the name of Jesus Christ, come out. Verse 19. And when her owners saw that their hope of financial gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Why are they singing? I mean, they have every reason to not sing here, to not pray, to not worship. Uh, uh, this paragraph, it, this beating that they've gotten in this paragraph, like, it was bad. Like, the beating that they had with rods, the many blows would have taken them to within an inch of their lives. For all they know, they're, they're waiting their death. They're, they're in pain. They're probably hungry. They're being tortured even continually with the stalks that are around their limbs. And what do they do? They worship. Why? Uh, well, they, they believe the gospel that they are proclaiming. They have a hope secure in Jesus Christ. Like, he is their savior and he is beautiful and he is infinitely valuable and they love him and they're willing to endure 
anything to know him and to serve him and to proclaim the gospel. He's been guiding them all along. The Lord, by his spirit, has been guiding them and directing them and they've already seen him softening hard hearts and casting out demons and now they trust. They trust that somehow this is in his plan. Just like everything else has been under his control. Just like he led them to Philippi, they have to trust that he has led them to this prison also that he has led them to this moment. So they sing. What a powerful proclamation of the gospel. What a beautiful demonstration of the gospel when Christian joy shines brilliantly through the darkest of circumstances. What if we viewed our circumstances this way? What if we treasured him above everything and trusted him in the midst of persecution and suffering and saw every moment as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel? whether it's a doctor's visit or a job situation or a hard relationship or financial difficulties or parenting. What if we said he, he knows? He's, he's with me. I can trust him. I can point people to Jesus in this moment. I can worship in the midst of it all. They sing. Verse 26. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the, the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So there's an earthquake, shackles fall off. This is incredible. Okay, the timing is amazing. This has to be at the hand of the Lord. If you're like, well, come on, it's, it's just an earthquake. Like earthquakes happen. It's like, okay doors open, the walls are kind of crumbling, all right, but the shackles fall off. When's the last earthquake you've known that's just like, oh, look, my shackles are off. There are no walls too high. There's no place too dark. There are no shackles too tight to stop the spread of the gospel by the plan and the power of the Spirit of God through his people. Keep going. Verse 28, but Paul cried with a loud voice and he said, do not harm yourself. We're all here. <laughs> I love this. Jailer's about to kill himself because the prisoners are all gonna escape. He's probably gonna face death for this anyway. So Paul yells out in the darkness, loud voice, don't harm yourself. Stop, 
Why such compassion for this man? Why such compassion for this man who probably, by the way, had had a hand in torturing them earlier? Honestly, I read this passage. I don't want the jailer to stop. There's nothing in me that would want that jailer to follow Jesus, right? I mean, here's an earthquake. Like, we got doors opening, shackles falling off. Like, this is from the Lord. The one thing that stands between us and freedom is that jailer, and he's about to take care of that. And then we're gonna walk out of here and say, thank you for our freedom, not Paul. Don't harm yourself. See, remember, remember, Paul had once caused wounds himself, hadn't he? He knew better than anyone that the one that inflicts the wounds needs Jesus as much as the one that suffers them. So he says, don't harm yourself. We are all here, which is mind-blowing. Why are they there? (laughs) They don't leave. Why? I think, I think it's because from this passage we can see that they knew that God had put them right here for a reason. And that reason was to proclaim the gospel. That's why they don't leave. See, they don't just think all the easy stuff has been part of God's plan for spreading the gospel. This is part of his plan too. There's no need to rush out. We've got work to do right here. This earthquake was not to save these men physically. It was to save this jailer spiritually. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights And he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. (laughs) I love that. Here's this big, burly, probably ex-soldier jailer. He comes running in, falls down at the feet of Paul and Silas. Verse 30, and then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What must I do to be saved? He's been listening to their praises and probably their proclamation. And the Lord has used their circumstances and message to soften him and he softened him up real good with the earthquake. He's listening now. Everybody is listening. Notice, none of the prisoners leave. I actually wonder how many of those prisoners actually came to know Jesus that day along with the jailer. What must I do to be saved? And they said, believe. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and he he washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then 
he brought them up into his house, probably located above the, the, the prison, the jail here. And he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Verse 33, this phrase got me this week. He took them that same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. What a beautiful picture of a life transformed. He washes the wounds of these men that he had probably inflicted on them earlier in that day. I mean, picture this. And then he brings these prisoners up, up into his home with his family and what happens? They believe. And new life rises from the rubble of this prison. In the midst of, through, hardship, suffering, and persecution, the gospel advances by the plan and the power of the Spirit of God. Verse 35. And when it was day, the, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have, have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, mm -mm. they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. <laughs> and the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. I love that. Leave the city. Okay, we're gonna go visit Lydia. And when they'd seen the brothers and sisters, they encouraged them and they departed. There's a church in Philippi. The gospel has exploded into Europe. The church has been formed there. This diverse group of people is now meeting together and worshiping together. You've got a businesswoman and, and her whole household. You've got possibly all the other women that were in this prayer group down by the river. You've got a jailer, his whole household, possibly a bunch of prisoners, and maybe a fortune-telling slave girl. That's a core group to start a church with. The church has been formed in Philippi. Now what? I think last we see, we see this in this passage. We see a people advancing with the gospel near and far. A people advancing with the gospel near and far. You might be like, what do you mean near and far? Um, anyone ever, anyone remember Sesame Street? I don't know if Sesame Street's still a thing. <clears throat> So Grover has an episode where he's explaining like distance. And he's like, and it's like, how do I understand distance? And he says near and far. And he goes, near. <laughs> he turns around and goes, far. Near. <laughs> far. <laughs> and he just keeps doing it over and over again. That's exactly what I mean by near and far. Near 
and far. First, a people advancing with the gospel, far. Okay, we're gonna see in the weeks ahead, and I can tell you this, but it's a little spoiler alert. It involves Paul and Silas leaving. Look at the verse, uh, uh, first verse of chapter 17. Now when they had passed through, oh, I didn't rehearse these names, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. What happens? Uh, Paul and Silas leave. They're going far geographically with the gospel in obedience to the Great Commission because they've been called by God to strengthen churches around the world and advance the gospel to places and to people who have never received the good news about Jesus. We are called to go and make disciples individually and as a faith family. But not all of us will go far. Not all of us will or even should go like Paul and Silas. But maybe some of us should. In a church our size, there must be some here who the Lord is calling to go far geographically for the sake of gospel proclamation. Maybe there's some here who with the confirmation of the church should take their skills and their gifts and their creativity and their finances or their business or their, or their family and go somewhere and utilize those in order to spread the gospel among people who have never been exposed to the good news about Jesus. A people advancing with the gospel far. We also see a people advancing with the gospel near. See, it's interesting here as we look at this, we don't have any indication that Lydia or the jailer or any of these new believers left and went with Paul, Silas, Timothy, or Luke. Instead, where did they go? They went home. They went back to work as jailers and sellers of purple stuff and mothers and grandparents. And what did they do? They proclaimed and they worshiped and they prayed in their community, probably in the midst of much persecution while they supported the far ministry of Paul. See, we find out in the book of Philippians that this church in Philippi was the greatest supporter of Paul's far ministry. And we also find out that this church grows and flourishes and multiplies and makes disciples. How? Because people went home and they advanced with the gospel. Some of us are called to go far. All of us are called to go near. Here, in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our church. Do you realize 
every Sunday that we gather together, we have 250 children, birth to fifth grade. They get to hear the gospel here on the weekend through your faithful ministry, most of whom don't know Jesus yet as their savior. <laughs> Advancing with the gospel begins right here, near, as we faithfully proclaim and pray and worship with the good news about Jesus. The most faithful advancer of the gospel that I know is my wife, Amy. Every day, she gets up and she loves and she cares for and she teaches and she points our children to Jesus as she serves the Lord in the daily, mundane, routine tasks of this life. And then she seeks to faithfully proclaim him in our faith family and in our neighborhood and in our family. We are all called to be a people advancing with the gospel. Near and far, how? According to the plan of God, by the power of his spirit, and through our proclamation and even our persecution. I'm gonna pray in here in a minute. Uh, we're gonna sing. Whatever circumstances you find yourself right in, right now, in the midst of, I wanna encourage you to sing. Singing is a, it's a step of faith that says I'm choosing to trust a God who is completely trustworthy and who loves me. And in the midst of whatever jail you're in right now and whatever shackles are on, I would encourage you, as a faith family, let's sing. Let's sing, Father. Uh, some of us this morning, uh, are, are on the absolute fringes of our faith. Um, We've been pressed there by circumstances, by Satan, by our flesh. And we need you. Would you draw us back, Lord? Would you rekindle in us a love for you? you cause us to trust you no matter what is happening in our lives at this point. Lord, we need you. We love you. And we sing now, Lord, as an, as an act of faith, as a, as a step towards you, proclaiming the gospel that we say we believe. 
Lord, would you help us to be a people advancing near and far, praying and singing and proclaiming the good news about you that you have decisively dealt with sin on our behalf and that we find hope through trusting you. We love you, Jesus. You're amazing. In your name.